Book Three, Chapter Nine of Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Strangers and Pilgrims, Book Three, Chapter Nine. My God, I never knew what the mad felt before, for I am mad beyond all doubt. No, I am dead. These putrefying limbs shut round and sepulchre the panting soul, which would burst forth into the wandering air. What hideous thought was that I had in no? Tis gone, and yet its burden remains here, o'er these dull eyes, upon this weary heart. O world, O life, O day, O misery! She is the madhouse nurse who tends on me. It is a piteous office. Whether a careful compliance with Mr. Ford's behest would have saved Elizabeth from the evil consequences of that one wet day, it is impossible to say. She took no precautions. She was utterly reckless of her own safety, hating doctors and all medical appliances with a childish hatred, and never from her childhood upwards having cared to take any trouble about herself in the way of preserving her health. That health had hitherto been a splendid inheritance, which recklessness would hardly reduce. She had run wild in the Devonian woods, wet-footed, and caring no more for the damps of morass or brooklet than a young fawn. She had roamed the moor in the very teeth of the east wind, had lingered latest of all the household in the vicarage garden, when the heavy night-dews were falling. She had sat up late into the nights, reading her favourite books, had existed for weeks at a time with the least possible allowance of sleep, and had hardly known what it was to be ill. "'I almost wish I could set up a chronic headache like Diana's,' she used to say in those days. "'It is so convenient occasionally.' But after her boy's death had come an illness which concentrated into nine long weeks of anguish, more than some feeble souls suffer in a lifetime of weak murmurings and complainings brain fever it would have been most likely called had the patient been any one else than lord paulyn's wife but the specialists who met three times a week in solemn conclave to discuss the diagnostics of the case found occult names for the ailments of a person of quality that nameless fever of mind and body engendered of a wild and desperate grief came and passed away but not without severely trying the strength of the mind which had been the greater sufferer. The inexhaustible riches of a superb constitution saved the body, but that weaker vessel the mind foundered, and at one time was menaced with total shipwreck. Now fever again took possession of that lovely temple, the lowest form of contagious fever, and rang its dismal changes from gastric to typhus, from typhus to typhoid. Wet garments, tainted air, did their fatal work. After a week or so of general depression, occasional shivering fits, utter want of appetite, and continued sleeplessness, the fever fiend revealed himself in a more definite form, and the local surgeon, resident five miles from the chateau, declared with infinite hesitation and unwillingness that in his opinion Lady Paulyn was suffering from a mild form, a very mild form and entirely without danger, of the low fever that had been hanging about the neighbourhood this year. This declaration was made in the most cautious and conciliating manner to Lady Paulyn herself, in the presence of Hilda Disney. The disagreeable fact, disguised with an excessive show of confidence and hopefulness on the doctor's part, 
just as he contrived to conceal the flavour of aloes or rhubarb in his silvered pills. Elizabeth turned her haggard, fever-bright eyes to him with a strange look. She had been sitting in a moody attitude till now, staring fixedly at the ground. "'I have had fever before,' she said, "'and that time my mind went. I could not believe it for long afterwards, but I know now that it did go.' I hope that's not going to happen to me again. My dear lady, Elizabeth shuddered. The specialists, or in other words, mad doctors, had always called her dear lady. There is not the smallest cause for such an apprehension. In fever there is occasionally a slight delirium, purely attributable to physical causes. "'but I trust that with care there may be nothing of the kind in your case.' "'With care?' repeated Elizabeth. "'Yes, I remember they said that when I was ill before. "'I heard them as I lay there helpless, "'repeating the same words every day like parrots. "'But then I only wanted to die and to go to my darling, "'and I don't know that it matters much more now. "'Only I don't want to lose my mind and yet go on living.' If I am to die young, let me die altogether, not like Dean Swift, first atop. The Scotch surgeon, an eminently practical man, shook his head a little at this, with a grave side-glance at Miss Disney, and then murmured his directions. Quiet, repose, the saline draughts, which he would alter a little from those of yesterday and the day before, and above all, care. It would be as well to send to Glasgow for a professional nurse, lest the duties of the sick-room might be beyond the scope of Miss Disney or Lady Paulyn's maid. This was mentioned in confidence to Hilda, when she and the surgeon had left Elizabeth's room together. "'It is not going to be serious, I hope,' said Hilda. "'Oh, I apprehend not. No, I venture to think not.' with youth and so fine a constitution no organic disease i have every reason to imagine the fever will pass off in a few days and a complete restoration ensue but the want of sleep and of appetite are unpleasant symptoms and her ladyship's mind is more excited than i should wish i think as it is a case which will no doubt inspire some anxiety in the mind of lord paulyn and as he is absent from home it might be wise to fortify ourselves with a second opinion this was said with an air of proud humility as who should say i feel myself strong enough to cope with the diseases of a nation but usage must be observed according to the statute in such case made and provided for medicine has its unwritten laws, its unregistered acts of an intangible parliament. I should like Dr. Socky Hall to see Lady Paulyn. Oh, pray telegraph to him at once, said Hilda anxiously, and I will telegraph to my cousin. With this understanding they parted, the doctor to drive his neat gig to the little bathing place five miles off, whence he could send a telegram to Glasgow, Hilda to pace the terrace under a grey autumn sky, watching, or seeming to watch, the white rain-mist rolling up from the mountain crests, and meditating this new turn in affairs. How would Reginald take his wife's illness? They had parted with a palpable coolness, on her part indifference, and smothered anger on his. 
would all his old selfish vehement love rush back upon him with redoubled force if he found his wife in jeopardy such hours of peril as it were the shadow of the destroyer lurking on the threshold of a half-open door are apt to waken dormant affections to rekindle passions that seem dead as death itself i know that he loves her still thought hilda those flashes of anger spring from the same root as tender looks and sweet words he loves her still with quite as much real affection and as near an approach to unselfishness as he is capable of feeling and if she were to die he would never love any one else would marry again perhaps but for money no doubt the second time and i well i should always be in the same position a miserable hanger-on outside his life god give me patience to do my duty to both of them to the man who amused a summer holiday by breaking my heart and the woman who has usurped my place in the world to communicate by telegraph or post with lord paulyn was no easy matter or there was at least small security that a telegram would find him his address was fugitive at newmarket to-day on board his yacht in southampton water bound for havre to-morrow hilda telegraphed to newmarket and park lane trusting that one of the two messages might reach him without delay she also wrote him a letter addressed to park lane in which she gave him a careful account of elizabeth's symptoms and the medical man's remarks upon them having done this she felt that she had done her duty and could abide the issue of events with a complacent mind but a harder and more painful duty remained to be done the patient had to be watched and cared for and that task miss disney deemed herself in a manner bound to perform a horrible restlessness had taken possession of elizabeth weak as she was she wanted to roam from room to room out on to the lonely walk even under the dull grey sky and mr mcknockie the local surgeon had especially directed that she should be kept in perfect quiet and in her own room that she should straightway take to her bed indeed and as it were prostrate herself at the feet of the fever fiend against this elizabeth protested with all her might declaring that she was not ill that she had nothing the matter with her but cold and sore throat and mr mcknockie was only trying how long a bill he could run up with his vapid tasteless medicines air fresh air was all she required she cried and she flung open the french window and went out into the balcony in spite of hilda oh see 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 she cried looking away toward that opening in the hills where the waters widened out into ocean oh if you would only carry me away to some new world a world of dreams and shadows where i should have done with the burden of life alas she was only too near that world of dreams and shadows before nightfall she was delirious watched over by hired nurses a prostrate wretch concerning whom the doctors sockyhall and mcknockie shook their heads almost despondently fever of mind and body raged together with unabating violence she had entered the region of dreams and shadows and in that long delirium during which all things in the present were blotted out or only seen dimly athwart a thick cloud her mind went back to the past she was a child again following the windings of the tabor or losing herself in the wood where the anemones were like snow in april 
she was a girl again her childish unspoken love for malcolm forde ripening slowly like a bud that ripens to a blossom under a gentle english sun until it burst into bloom and beauty the perfect flower of a woman's heart in that drama of the past which she lived over again there were not only scenes that had been but scenes that had not been with the loss of sober reason and the perception of surrounding things invention was curiously quickened memory which was beyond measure vivid ran a race with imagination that brief span of her springtime courtship the few short weeks of her engagement to malcolm forde were spun out by innumerable fancies of the distracted brain she recalled walks that they had never walked long wanderings over the moor wild poetic talk the converse of spirits which had issued forth from the doors of this solid world into a vast cloudland a place of dim unfinished thoughts and broken fancies it was distracting to hear her talk of these things it was a madness almost maddening to watch or listen to the hired nurses made light enough of the business hauled their patient about with their coarse hands tied her even with bonds when she was too restless for their endurance ate drank slept and rejoiced while she lay there in her dream-world entreating malcolm to loosen those cruel cords to take her away out of the stifling atmosphere that was killing her miss disney made a point of spending some hours of the day or night in the sick-room and in these hours elizabeth fared a little better than at other times the tying process was at any rate not attempted in hilda's presence but consciousness of all immediate events being in abeyance the hapless patient knew not that she was being protected by this quiet figure in a black silk gown which sat statue-like by the hearth and she was exceedingly tormented by the sight of it in her more desperate moods she even accused miss disney of keeping her a prisoner in that horrible room and separating her from her plighted lover here was one of the mental obliquities which made a part of her disorder her husband and her married life even her lost child were forgotten were as things that had never been nothing stood between her and her first lover except the bondage that kept her to that hated room he was at all times close at hand waiting for her calling to her even only she could not go to him every creature who held her back from him was her enemy and chief among these the despotic mistress of her prison-house the arbiter of her fate was hilda disney matters were in this state when lord paulyn came back to slogh tardily apprised of his wife's illness by the telegrams which had followed him from stage to stage of his wandering existence he found the doctors at sea only able to give stately utterance to the feeblest opinions but by a curious fatality issuing orders which in every minutest detail were opposed to the desires of the patient in her more lucid intervals she had languished for the sight of old faces the sound of old voices she had entreated them to send for the old servant who had nursed her the old vicarage servant who had been part and parcel of her home in the happy childish days before her mother's death before she had begun to be proud of her beauty and to grow indifferent to the commonplace present in selfish dreams of a much brighter future she spoke of the woman by her name remembering all about her with a singular precision at which the doctors looked at each other and wondered 
memory extraordinarily clear they remarked like heaven-gifted seers divining a fact which it was not within the power of common perception to discover then came a longing for her sisters above all for blanche the young frivolous creature who had loved her better than she had ever loved in return piteously in her most reasonable moments she implored that blanche might be summoned she would amuse me she said and i want so much to be amused all is so dull here such an awful quiet like a house under a spell oh for heaven's sake if there is any one in this place who loves me or pities me let them send for my sister blanche miss disney faithful to her duties in a semi-mechanical way informed the medical men of this wish would it not be well to send for miss luttrell oh no they said isolation perfect isolation offered the only chance of recovery lady paulyn was to see no one except the persons who nursed her no old familiar faces inspiring violent emotions agitating thoughts were to approach her even miss disney who might be permitted to take her turn occasionally in the patient's room must be careful not to talk to her not to encourage anything like conversation soothing silence must pervade the chamber sepulchral as the room where the mighty dead lie in state when lord paulyn came he might see his wife but with such precautions as must reduce any meeting between them to a nullity the dismal monotony of a sick-room was to be elizabeth's cure the hard cruel visages of hireling nurses were to woo her back to reason and peace so said dr sockyhall mr macknockie as in duty bound agreeing lord paulyn came at a time when mere bodily illness had been well-nigh subjugated and that nicer mechanism the mind alone remained out of gear he was allowed to stand for a few minutes in the shadow of the curtains that draped his wife's bed and having the misfortune to come in an unlucky hour heard her rave about her first lover and upbraid the tyrants who had severed them he turned upon his heel and left the room without a word nor did he enter again until upon a terrible occasion some weeks later when the malady had increased even under those favourable circumstances of utter isolation and the care of hireling nurses and he was summoned to his wife's room to prevent her flinging herself out of the window by the sheer force of his strong arm she was clinging to the long french window when he went into the room an awful white-robed figure with streaming hair and flashing passionate eyes the two nurses trying to drag her back but vainly striving against the unnatural strength that waits upon a mind distraught why do you keep me back from him she cried he's down yonder by the water waiting for me as he has waited always i heard his voice just now you shall not keep me back do you think i'm afraid of the danger at the worst it is only death let me go lord paulyn's strong arm thrust the nurses aside and grasped the frail figure whose convulsive force was strangled in that muscular grip she struggled with him and was hurt in the struggle hurt by the grasp of that broad hand which seemed so brutal in its strength she looked at him with her wild fever-bright eyes 
i know you now she said you were my husband the other was a sweet sad dream you are the bitter reality he flung her into the arms of the head nurse a virago six feet high if you cannot take better care of your patient i must have her put where they will know how to look after her without boring me he said and left the room without another look at the only woman he had ever loved there are some flames that burn themselves out very soon the fierce love of selfish souls among them the warmth of lord paulyn's affection for his wife had long been on the wane her extravagances had tried his temper touching him deeply where he was most susceptible in his love of money her illness had annoyed him for he detested the fuss and trouble of domestic affliction this second calamity struck a final blow to his self-love with which was bound up whatever yet remained of that other love that her wandering mind should set up that parson fellow in his rightful place should erase him reginald paulyn from the story of her life harking back to that old foolish sentimental story of her girlhood was too deep an offence he sat by his lonely hearth and brooded over his wrongs his wife's base ingratitude his childlessness hardly daring to look forward to the future in which he saw the creature he had once loved menaced with the direst affliction humanity can suffer he summoned the mad doctors the men who had taken out a kind of patent for the manipulation of the distraught mind the men who had called elizabeth dear lady a year ago in park lane they came and agreed in polite language which shirked the actual word that lady paulyn was very mad they feared hopelessly permanently mad nature of course had vast resources they added sagely providing for the event of her recovery there was no knowing what healing balm she might ultimately produce from her inexhaustible storehouse but in the meantime there could be no doubt of the main fact that her ladyship was suffering from acute mania and must be placed under fitting restraint there was a little discussion as to which of the doctors should have the privilege of ministering to this amiable sufferer one had a charming place an old-fashioned mansion of the grange order in surrey the other a handsome establishment on the north side of london they debated this little matter between themselves like polite vultures haggling about a piece of carrion perhaps drew lots for the patient and finally arranged everything with an air of agreeable cordiality the physician whose house was in the north had won the day you must contrive to get me through any formalities that may be necessary as easily as you can said lord paulyn it's a horrible business and the sooner it's over the better poor thing she was the loveliest woman in england bar none when i married her i feel as if we were committing a murder oh be assured my dear sir that the dear lady could not be more happily placed than with our good friend dr cameron said dr turnham the gentleman who had resigned the prey to his brother patentee if skill and care can restore her rely upon it they will not be wanting the viscount sighed and went back to his solitary smoking-room breathing muttered curses against destiny she had worn out his love 
but to think of her handed over to this doctor consigned perhaps to a life-long imprisonment that was hard what should he do with himself when she who had made the glory of his life was walled up in that living grave he had newmarket still and his stables and at his best he had given more of his life to the stable than to elizabeth but he felt not the less that his life was broken that he could never again be the man that he had been that even the hoarse roar of the ring and the public when his colours came to the front in a great race would henceforth fall flat upon his ear end of book three chapter nine